Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. I have had the blessing of serving as senior pastor and preaching God's Word verse by verse here at First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs for the last 22 years. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. While these messages are not meant to replace your involvement in a local church, I sincerely pray that they will be a blessing to you and your family. May God bless you as you seek Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Wonderful. Wonderful. Let me give you a little bit of... Um, Jay's already done this, but I want to do it again. Uh, December the 10th, we will have some wonderful um, music and the Lord's Supper on the 10th of December. So begin to prepare for that, and we will uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, the Memorial Supper. And on December the 17th, uh, George Smith will be with us, the Ugandan missionary. I don't, I don't want to call him retired, but he, he lives here now, but he still works in, uh, for the International Mission Board in mobilization. And he's good at mobilizing people. And um, he's the one who was in Uganda for all those years. And um, he put me on this church that you see and uh, he said, I sent you up there because we, I, I want you to help build those walls for that church. A few years ago, we got them a tin roof. And they did. They had a tin roof. But they need walls, brick walls. And they will do the work, but uh, they need the supplies. And I said, well, I'll ask First Baptist to help out with that. And I mentioned that last Sunday, I think it was, or yes, last Sunday, and um, several of you came up and said, we're on it. We want to give. And so you can start giving to that anytime you want. And uh, George will be here the 17th, and I, I've asked him to say a little bit more about it. But uh, that's their church. And uh, it's the rainy season over there right now. So uh, we are nine hours behind them, which indicates... Uh, that they worship at a different time than we do. So I, I, right now I can't do the math. I don't know if they've already worshipped today or are going to worship. They've already worshipped today, all right. And so uh, they, um, uh, they were in the future. But um, I don't know if it rained them out or not, but the rain comes in, but they keep coming. So if you want to give to that, you can. I think we're looking at about 4 million shillings. All right. You give them $100, they're going to give you 370,000 shillings, whatever that amounts to. When I got there, I gave them $100, and they gave me 370,000 shillings, and I had the shillings in my pocket, and I said, I don't need these right now. So at the airport, I went to the exchange and got my change back, and I had $16. And I gained weight while I was over there. That's pretty good economy, isn't it? But nonetheless, if you want to give to that, you can give to that. And anything left over that they don't need, we'll just trust George to put it where it needs to go and, and ask him where he's going to put it, and we'll go from there. So please be aware of that. Many of you asked about that, and um, you can start giving now. Just make sure you put on church walls. The pastor there, is, his name is Mark, Pastor Mark. And uh, I spent a couple of days with him. 
And I'll tell you something funny, if I may. Uh, it's, I, I'm sure this is okay. But uh, another pastor on this trip went there throughout the week after I did. And Pastor Mark kept on calling him Mike, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike. His name was Calvin, is Calvin. He's an African-American pastor in Pascagoula, wonderful man. And uh, Calvin, he said, I got there and he just kept calling me Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike. And I said, I'm Calvin, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike. He said, I'm Calvin. And he said, finally, I looked at him and said, Pastor Mike is the bald-headed white guy. And I'm not completely bald, but anyway. <laughs> and he said, uh, I never could get away. Well, Pastor Mark came to greet us on our way when we were leaving, the day we were leaving. And, and Calvin got on the airplane. He said, you know what Pastor Mark said? Mark said? And I said, what? He said, goodbye, Pastor Mike. See you next time. <laughs> so nonetheless, I told Calvin I was going to share that with you. Well, we have been preaching on the question, why should you come to Christ and be saved in these Sundays? We started out, and we were in John 16, and we had three reasons why. First of all, God is offended. That's why you need salvation in Christ Jesus. For all of sin. The second reason was God is offering salvation. The third reason was God is only offering one way of salvation through Christ Jesus. And that's why you need Christ and need to be saved. And then we considered why do you need to be saved? Because there is a hell to avoid. And we preached on hell from Luke 16. And then, the Sunday that we worshipped at our homes, due to uh, Peter Anderson, we preached on why should you be saved, because you have a testimony to hear. And, and we talked about what every Christian has, a time before Christ, a time when they met Christ, and a time after they met Christ. What life is like before Christ how you met Christ, and then what life has been like with the changed life that Christ has brought. But today, we're going to speak on the subject, why should you come to Christ for salvation? Why? Because there is a heaven to gain. And so I want to preach on heaven. And I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We're going to begin with verse 9. And read this marvelous text of heaven. I chose this Sunday to preach on heaven because it was on Thanksgiving Day in uh, 1996 that my mother went to heaven. And then on uh, Friday morning or Thursday night one, I got a call from... Uh, a brother in the Lord and an old friend and his father, who was also an old friend, a Korean veteran of the Korean War, Harold Murray. He said, my father passed away Thanksgiving Day, went on to heaven. 
And he said uh, he always wanted you to preach his funeral. And so I'm going to preach Brother Harold's funeral. It's an honor to preach his funeral. He's a good man. I'm a, I, I loved Brother Harold. And uh, we had another man go to heaven who was great in our state of Mississippi. Uh, Brother Tommy King, Dr. King, the president of William Carey College for 15 years, went on to glory, uh, I think the day before Thanksgiving. And um, sitting in the recliner yesterday and heard ding, ding. That's the text. And it was from Bradford O'Keefe. And they said, we need, to, can you do a funeral for us on Tuesday? And uh, they need a pastor. And I said, well, yeah, I can do that on Tuesday. It's always an opportunity to preach the gospel and and uh, find that, well, come to find out it was a Christian couple, and she'd been very sick for a very long time and lost contact with their church. Now, folks, I want to tell you, that ought not happen. And uh, that's why it's important to be involved in Sunday school and, and, and to be connected in your church so you can stay connected. And, uh, but nonetheless, we're going to preach uh, to them. But a lot of people going to heaven around Thanksgiving. Isn't that something? And so we're going to preach on heaven today. I'll tell you something about heaven. The Bible gives us, gives us peaks. We get to peek in. It's, sometimes it's like God opens the Venetian blinds up there and says, take a look in for just a little bit right here. Uh, but here in our text, it's as if he opens a window and we get to see much of the house. We get to see much of the city, much of the mansion. And uh, the question arises, as we're going to read this text, is the language, is it symbolic or is it literal? Well, I won't tell you. Yes. <laughs> and so we're going to look at the, the answers. It's both. The, the language of symbolism is used. When you read about it, you see the word like or as. And then sometimes you see a straightforward statement. You know, well, that's, that's literal what he's talking about. And um, they are descriptions which appear to be very literal, and he uses language that, that helps us understand it. It's, it's, it's John who takes the known and describes for us the unknown. And so uh, let's look at this uh, text and see heaven to gain, and we're going to read... Uh, we're going to read quite a bit of it, all right? Let's read together. Verse 9 of chapter 21, Revelation. And there came unto me one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come here and I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a great and had a wall, great and high, and had twelve gates, and the gates at the gates twelve angels, and names written on the gate, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. 
And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates of it and its wall. And the city lies four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs, the length And the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall of it a hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones, The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, and the sixth sardius, and the seventh crystallite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth crystopasis, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did light it, and the Lamb is the lamp of it. And the nations of them who are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no way enter into it anything that defiles Neither he that works abomination or makes a lie, but they who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is heaven. One of the most descriptive texts on heaven we have in the Bible. I realize there are many unanswered questions about heaven, but the Bible gives us sufficient knowledge about heaven and our home and that there is a heaven to gain if you would trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to go through this text and encourage you in the truth that there is a heaven to gain if you would come to Christ. You know, you hear a lot about um, earthly things and you hear people say that That individual or this individual is so heavenly minded, they're not any earthly good. You ever heard that? Well, I want to share something with you. I've just observed that the more heavenly minded the church is, the more earthly good it is. I mean, this is our home and this is what we long for. And this is where our loved ones are who have died in the Lord. And this is our hope. 
and it is a glorious place. And I am looking forward to heaven. I have people I want to see in heaven. I have questions I want to ask in heaven. I want to look at some people in heaven and say, see, I was right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's kind of arrogant, but really not. Oh, I want to go to heaven and say, oh, I was wrong about that. But I won't tell you what, heaven is a glorious place. And so let's look at it together for just a little bit and be thankful for it. First of all, the splendor of heaven. Here in, these ver in this verse 9, the first verse of our text, we see that a city is known by its citizens. A city is known by its citizens. Home, sweet home, heaven is a city that's known for the bride of Christ, the Lamb's wife. And it is a glorious, glorious church in heaven. On earth, we are the bride of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not perfect, but we are being perfected. That is our sanctification. That is the predestinating work of God to conform us to the image of Jesus. And right now, that process is at work in our souls, in our personalities, and in our spiritual growth. But one day in heaven, it'll be complete, not only in spirit and soul, but also in our bodies. And we will be like the Lord. The Bible says, for we do not know what we will be like, but we know enough to know we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And He, of course, is the splendor of heaven. Look at verse 11, and you see that it is a supernatural splendor. A supernatural splendor. It has the glory of God. And the light of the city is like a stone most precious. Even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It is a supernatural splendor in heaven. The glory, the glory of God. This is his, his inherent glory. It is a glory that we get a glimpse of as we read through the Bible. It is the glory that reflected upon Moses' face as he saw the Lord pass by. It is the glory that we call the Shekinah glory of his presence that would, that would come down upon the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temple. It is the glory of God that perhaps even Paul got a glimpse of on the road to Damascus when he was saved. And in heaven we will see the fullness of that glory. We couldn't handle it right here. We, we just couldn't get it. We couldn't handle it. it. It would knock us out. But I want to tell you, we will see the glory in its fullness, a supernatural splendor. Verse 23 tells us something else about this uh, splendor. It is a spiritual splendor. Verse 23, no need for human generated light. The Lamb is the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When he walked among men, that light was veiled in human flesh. That's the Christmas story. That's the incarnation. 
But when he went up into glory, there is no more veil. And one day when he returns, there will be no more veil. And in heaven, there will be no more veil. He will be the light. No reason for light switches and electricity. No reason for a sun because Jesus is the light. Isn't that going to be wonderful to see Jesus in the fullness of his glory? But you know what? It shouldn't surprise us. Jesus is always lighting up the lives of people. He always brings light. He's the light of the world. And he's made us the lesser lights of the world. And we reflect his glory. Not in our radiance, but in our lives. The glory of Jesus is seen in us today. This splendor is seen in us today by the way we reflect him in our walk with him to this world. And so the splendor of home. It's in a wonderful truth that even the darkest of hearts can find the eternal light of Jesus and be changed from darkness to light. That's the splendor of heaven. But in verse 12, for you engineers and you architects and you builders and carpenters, he starts speaking of the structure of heaven. The structure of heaven. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10 tells us, about the structure of our home, it says, Abraham looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We look for a city whose builder and maker is God. This heavenly city, the heavenly city of Jerusalem, our eternal home, heaven, and its builder and maker is God. I want you to notice the details of the structure. First of all, it has a wall. It has a wall. And God had no problem building the wall. No problem whatsoever. Verse 12 and verse 17. And had a wall, great and high. A high wall and 12 gates. Verse 17, and he measured the wall, 144 cubits. That's about 216 feet tall, these walls. And um, no one can sneak into heaven. You, you can't go under it. You can't go over the wall. You, you have to be led in. And, of course, Jesus will lead you in. But that's the walls around this city. You know, uh, walls keep things out, but walls also keep things in. And so which is it? Is it keeping something out? Is it keeping something in? Yes. And so these walls. But then along the walls you had 12 gates. That's what the Bible says about this city. 12 gates. Your real home is a gated community. You want to live in a gated community? You got to get saved. You need Jesus. Amen? You, you want to live in a gated community. Well, here it is. Heaven's a gated community. Notice that there are three gates on each side of the wall. That's fascinating to me. The gates say, welcome. The gates can be opened to say, welcome and come on in. Didn't Jesus say, come unto me? And he is the gate. And he is the door. Well, these are some gates. Now, I want to, if I can, uh, 
put my sanctified imagination to a little work, and I don't think I'm stretching the text too far to say this. This is, this is just a simple application about these gates, and you can, you can sit down and think about these gates and find all kinds of applications. I just want to make one application today about these gates, these, these literal gates that, that are going to surround uh, heaven and, and be on the walls, three on each side of the wall. And he goes to great lengths to tell us there, there's gates on the east. There's gates on the north. There's gates in the south. And gates in the west. He goes to a great... He puts a whole verse about that in Revelation. I think that means it's something to think about. And you know what I think about when I think about these gates? I think about the gates on the east. We all know the sun rises in the east. I think of the gates open to people who come to Jesus when they are young. In the sunrise of their life, they entered through the gate, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it's so good to have children accept Jesus as their Savior, isn't it? To see young people come to Christ and to be saved in the sunrise of their life when they're young. Back in... um, uh, oh, I get, let me look again, just to make sure I get my memory right. In uh, March of 1984, March 2nd, 1984, I bought this Bible. I purchased this Bible from a bookstore in downtown Marshall, Texas. And it's been my go-to Bible. I don't preach from it every Sunday. Uh, I have other, uh, another two Bibles that I preach from, but this is my go-to Bible. I've read through this Bible many, many times. The, the pages are faded. Uh, some of them are yellow. Uh, in Genesis chapter 4, there's an orange marker, an orange uh, highlighter that stretches across the page. Because one day Natalie was sitting in my lap, and she hit my marker and stretched across the page. And so and it's got tears, and it's got notes in it, and all of that. And, um, but from time to time, I, I preach from this Bible like I am today, and I read from it. And uh, it's my go-to Bible. It's my go-to Bible. You, you have a favorite Bible? You have a Bible that you can say, Amos, and go right to Amos. And you get somebody else's Bible, and they say, go to Matthew. You can't find Matthew. Oh, you got to have a well-worn personal Bible that, that, that only makes sense to you. All right? And this is my Bible. And my go-to Bible. I had it rebound a number of years ago because it was falling apart. And I uh, sent it off to Oklahoma. And, and uh, the guy called me and he saw the signatures in it and the notes in it. He said, man, this Bible is a treasure. He said, if we do it this way, it's going to cost this much. And if we do it the right way, it's going to cost this much, and that's a little more expensive than you might want to pay. He said, but I want to encourage you to do it the best way, because this Bible's a treasure. And I don't know if he was trying to sell me a bill of goods or not, but, I mean, he, he got me. And so we put off Tracy's surgery and all that stuff. And... <laughs> but anyway, I was sitting down in my study this morning, thinking about that eastern three gates and the sunrise conversions to Christ. And I opened up 
the fly leaf of this Bible. And I want to tell you what I read. December 9th, 2015, led Major, nine years old, to Christ in his home. December 16th, led Walker to Christ at his home. He was 10 years old. December 24th, 2017, I put the quote, We watch the children grow up. They watch us grow old. As scholars sang, After I baptized Reese and Jack Lee. And then it has other people that were saved in it. Oh, it's so wonderful when children come to the Lord early in life. And their heavenly home is made secure early in life. They come through the eastern side, the side of the sunrise. Amen. And then we see another gate. The gate to the north. Cold winds blow out of the north. The cold winds blow. Heaven is open to people who will come to Jesus through the hard, difficult, cold, bitter cold times of life. I can't tell you how many times somebody's tragedy, somebody's sickness, a funeral home setting where I've opened up the Bible and shared the gospel and people have been saved out of a cold, blowing north wind. And heaven is secured through the northern gates. Maybe you're going through a hard and difficult time right now. You can go two ways or three ways with that. Number one, you can just say it's part of it and that's where I am. It is what it is. Or you can say God doesn't... Love me, God hates me, and, and I, I, I'm better. Or you can say, God must love me because He's getting my attention with this cold north wind. And you can come to Christ and be saved. I can't promise you that north wind won't blow, but I can promise you this. He'll cover you up with His coat and give you some warmth for it. And you can enter heaven through the northern gates. And then we read about the south side the warm winds blow from the south. Heaven is open to people who will come to Jesus with a warm heart, stirred easily. The Holy Spirit shows them their sin and sometimes shows people their blessings and say, says, see how good God has been to you. All these temporal blessings that God gives us. These warm winds of goodness. Sir, ma'am, I would tell you this. If you have a family and you have children and you have grandchildren and you have joy on Thanksgiving Day and joy during the holidays and your family gathers around you and you have your health and warm winds of blessings blow your way, the common graces of God. Folks, it's that goodness and that kindness of God that's designed to bring you to repentance. And you can enter into heaven through the southern gates by coming to Jesus. Don't confuse His blessings with His salvation. But I want to tell you what, if God has been good to you, and today 
you've heard you can be saved from your sin. That makes God even better. And those temporal blessings, they're going to go away one day. Because one thing I've learned about, about living here in, in, in South Mississippi, that wind can be blowing out of the south and quickly come from another direction. Amen. Oh, I want to tell you, well, why don't you come to Christ when things are good and give God glory for those things. And then he tells us about another gate. The West Gates, the sunset side, people who come to Jesus in the sunset of their lives. I think it's very ironic that we sang that old hymn today, Bring You All the Tithes into the Storehouse. I hadn't heard that song in a long time. Thank you for leading us in it, Jay. Bring you all the tithes into the trust me, try me, prove me. One time there was a fellow who was saved back in East Texas, and he was a man from up north. I do not know how he wound up in Northeast Texas, but he was from uh, up north of our country and moved down there, and he was a gentle soul, and he got saved. And I really liked this gentleman. He was about this tall. And I remember after he got saved one day, he knocked on the office door and stuck his head in the office and said, Pastor, I got one question. And I said, what's your question? He's like in his 70s. He said, I've been saved for two weeks. Yes. Am I supposed to tithe? I said, yes. He said, okay. <laughs> Amen. Oh, I thought about that when we sang that song. But, you know, maybe you were saved in the later years of your life. I think of Bob Lockett who was saved in his 70s. And God did a great work in his life. And then some of you I know who were saved later in your life, 30s and 40s and 50s. Dear friend, I want to tell you something. You are a trophy of grace. Because the longer you go in your rejection of Christ, the more difficult it is to turn and repent of your sin. The devil just seems to get a stronger foothold. And the, the unction of the Lord becomes just kind of passe in your life and just... You just, it just decreases the older you get. But maybe you were saved later in your life. Maybe you're late in life right now. And you're in your retirement years. Or facing retirement. Making plans. And you're not saved. And you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You can enter through the western gate. And come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice something about these gates also. The Bible says they're made... A pearl. One pearl per gate. You know what that means in the Hebrew? That is a humdinger of a pearl. I think of how a pearl is made. A grain of sand gets into an oyster. The oyster is irritated and moves about. The grain of sand cuts and slices into the oyster. In pain, the oyster secretes an enzyme that surrounds the grain of sand, eventually the enzyme hardens and a pearl is formed. The gates, whether you come from the south, the warm times of your life, you come to Christ through the warm times. The east, or the, the, in childhood, you come to Christ. Oh, the north, the cold and bitter times brought you to Christ. Or, or the other side, where, where the, the sun uh, set brings you to Christ. I want to tell you something. You're going through... Somebody who suffered greatly to open heaven's gates. 
the pearls remind us that someone, and his name is Jesus, suffered greatly. And so that's the, that's the 12 gates, the wall, the 12 gates. Notice we also see the foundations, the foundations, 12 foundations. The names of the apostles are on the foundations. This tells me that heaven is built upon biblical truth. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to get on the foundation, and the foundation is the the. Twelve apostles, not, not those men in particular, but how God used them. They are the twelve apostles of the Lamb. They were the men who penned the New Testament. The prophets penned the Old Testament and the apostles the New. Inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us inerrant, biblical, infallible truth. And it's the truth that gets you into heaven. It, Jesus is the truth. And then in verse 21, not only see the foundation, but you see the streets. The streets. I remember years ago in, in, in Louisiana, one of the men in our church ran for, for a police juryman. That's what they called them. Here they're called district supervisors. But he ran for the, in the parish for a police juryman in the parish. And I went with him one day to a, to a debate between he and his opponent. And... They asked, what's the number one issue in your ward? Ward 7, where we lived. And the other opponent said, it's this and that and that. And my church member said, the number one issue is roads, roads, roads. And I knew that because a lot of my people live down dirt roads. And roads, roads, roads. Well, I want to tell you what, roads and streets are no issue in heaven. The Bible says the streets are pure gold. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. That is not symbolic language. They are literally pure gold. Isn't that an amazing thing? Can you imagine walking outside your mansion one day to drop, put the garbage out on Thursday morning? Or what have you. And the streets are pure gold. You know what? Here on earth, people worship gold and walk on God. But in heaven, we're going to worship God and walk on gold. That's the streets of heaven. There is a heaven to gain. Man, oh man, people, people will just do everything they can to make their gold here on earth. Oh, they'll make their gold. They'll make their gold. They'll get involved in everything they can to save up, make their gold, make their money, make their money, make their money. And up in heaven, they're walking on it. Isn't that something? Oh, listen, you want to be rich, get, you one of the, get that gated community up in glory. Amen. Notice in verse 16 the dimensions of heaven. Heaven is four square. Somebody said that these dimensions, furlongs and cubits and all of that, and four square means it's about two million square miles. And that's just the New Jerusalem. That's just the city of heaven. It's no small place. Heaven is a big place. The dimensions of it. But verse 22 is the highlight for me, the Savior 
of heaven. You know what will make heaven heaven? Jesus will make heaven heaven. Oh, to see Jesus in heaven. I get asked many questions about heaven. And uh, most of the time you can't answer them because the Bible doesn't speak to them. And the best thing to say is, I don't know. And uh, it's okay not to know something if the Bible doesn't speak to it. If the Bible speaks to it, we need to get to know it. But one question is, is, is people will say, do those folks in heaven look down upon us and, and watch us? I hope not. And if you're honest, you don't want it either. Amen? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I want to tell you. Why? And the Bible doesn't speak to that. Hebrews, the cloud of witnesses is not talking about people in heaven. It's talking about those who've given their lives for Christ and, 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 and how we have this testimony of them. It's not talking about people in heaven. But why would my mama, why would Brother Harold, why would Dr. King, why would my loved ones, my, my grandparents who love Jesus, why would they want to be looking at me when they can see Jesus? Huh? Why, why, would they, why would they want to look at the bald-headed white guy when they can be looking at Jesus and the glory of His splendor? Amen? Because I want to tell you, if I get to heaven before you do, I'm not going to be worried about you. And I'm not coming back. Because I'm going to be with Jesus. Amen? Jesus is what makes heaven... Heaven. And if he's dear to you now, he'll be dear to you then and there. First of all, I want you to see Jesus as the source of heaven's sanctity. Verse 22 and 24. No temple is needed. No temple is needed. It is in the temple where they brought their sacrifices. It's where the day of atonement was had and, and the sins of the nation were forgiven for a year. It is where they would have the brazen altar and the sin offerings were given. And then they had the labor where the priest would wash in and out. And then they had the holy place where fellowship was had. And then they had the holy of holies where the glory of God would fall. No need for that anymore because Jesus is the temple. He's the sanctity of heaven. He is what completes and who completes our salvation. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Jesus is the sanctity of heaven. Amen. He's what keeps heaven heaven. And then Jesus is the source of heaven's liberty. Verse 25 says the gates stay open. The gates stay open. No night is there. No bondage. Perfect liberty is there. And then Jesus is the source of heaven's purity. Verse 27, and there shall in no way, no way, you know what that means in the Greek, no way, 
enter into it anything, anything that defiles. Neither he that works abomination or makes a lie, but they who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's who is in heaven. And that's who is in the new Jerusalem. Those whose names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, glory to God. Is your name written there in the Lamb's book of life? I want to show you something real quickly, though. If you go back just one chapter over, uh, well, a few verses up, you come to Revelation 21 and verse 8, and, and you see who is not in heaven. Who is not in heaven. He says, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and fornicators and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We could, we could preach on that all day long, the ingredients of hell. But I, I want to I want to I just highlight just the first one, the first ingredient, the first type of person who's not in heaven, the fearful, the fearful. You would think that somebody who was afraid, we'd want to cover them up and, and help them, but, but God says, God says the fearful are going to be in the lake of fire. They're not going to be in heaven, the fearful. It's, it's akin to when he talked about being ashamed of him, of being timid about committing to him. So I want to ask you this question today. Why do you need to be saved? Well, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of this morning? Are you afraid of being mocked? Are you afraid of, of, of your family's reaction? Are you afraid of, of giving up some things? Are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Are you embarrassed? Are you, are you, are you afraid of being baptized in, in front of people? I had somebody ask me a question the other day. Can, can you arrange for me a private baptism? I said, no. Are you, are you afraid of that? What are you afraid of? You're afraid that God won't forgive you for what you've done? You, you're afraid of being rejected? Let me tell you, the only qualification you need to be saved is to be a sinner. Because that's the only qualification you got. And you can come to Christ and He will in no wise cast you out. And those that mock you, they need to be saved too. But... I won't tell you what. I haven't laid eyes on everybody in this room, but I'm pretty much uh, 100% sure that you're amongst friends who want you to come to Jesus and be saved, regardless of whether you come through the north gate, the east gate, the west gate, or the south gate. They want you to come to Jesus, and they're going to be happy in the Lord. So don't be afraid of ridicule. Don't be afraid of those things. Jesus loves you, and His perfect love can cast out that fear. What are you afraid of? Remember that heaven is 1,500 miles four square. It is big. It is huge. 
But, but, it does have dimensions. Isn't that incredible? It's big, but it does have a corner here, a corner there, a wall that stops, a wall that stops. It's big, but it does have a measurement. Allow me to show you a terrifying, sad truth from Scripture. The prophet Isaiah says, Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoices shall descend into it. Hell enlarges itself. Folks, when we were building our education building during Katrina times, I'd walk through there at the end of the day after all the crews had left. And I'd get pretty impressed. And the Lord would say, Barnett, don't be too impressed. Hell is always in an expansion program. It enlarges itself. Hell enlarges itself. Opened her mouth wide without measure. Jesus would say, broad is the way that leads to destruction. As huge as heaven is, it's smaller than hell. Heaven is smaller than hell. Don't be presumptuous. Don't think you can make it any other way but through Christ. Don't think so. But be rejoicing and be confident it's big enough for you. It's big enough for you. There's room for you. Peter, about to die, be executed, said, God has a place for us. It's an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. That fades not away and it's reserved in heaven for you. I pray you'd come to Christ because there's a heaven to gain. A heaven to gain. I pray you would pray for your mission because there's a heaven to gain. I pray you'd be on mission because there's a heaven to gain. That's why. That's why. Let's stand for our song of appeal.